Thank you, Paul. Let me say again, uh, a happy Easter uh, on this uh, Resurrection Sunday. What an opportunity, what a gift. It's so great to be able to look out and see uh, your faces looking back. Um, We've had baptisms, we've had cinnamon buns, and uh, now you've got me. But uh, thank you for the, also the team and the worship. And that video that we saw, if you, I was like, oh, isn't it great to see that? Something happened between 7.30, when we sort of finished, or we left the beach at 7, and then coming together this morning, that meant that was videoed and then put together. So thank you. Um, uh, where are you? For, uh, for putting that together. Good man. Thank you. So there's always a lot, there's a lot of excitement around Easter morning, and rightfully so, right? It's the biggest day in the church calendar. I mean, you might ask your kids, you know, what's your favorite day? And they might say, well, Christmas, but, you know, Christmas would not happen if it wasn't for this day. We wouldn't be celebrating um, Christmas uh, because we celebrate today the resurrection of Jesus. But I wonder if, I want us to take a little bit of time to think about what, what does that mean. The main thing that I want us to remember is that, yeah, the resurrection, it happened. But not just that it happened, but that it happens. And that God meets with us at the place of impossibility and he brings to us his resurrection life. So what does it mean to you as we come together this morning to celebrate Easter morning, to celebrate the resurrection? What does it mean to you? Everyone's excited. Everyone's shouting, yeah, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Are you feeling it or are we just saying it? Or are there places where we're just longing, Lord, may I know your resurrection life in this part of my life or in my life? Or I see these people, I hear their joy, but it's just not something that I either get or understand. And I don't even know if I want it. What does it mean that we should be here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? I want to start with a question for us to consider as we, as we come to this morning. And you know, I said that Jesus comes to us, God meets us at the place of impossibility. We find resurrection life, we encounter this resurrection life at the place of impossibility. So I want to ask you to think for a moment, what is the impossible that you are facing right now? What is that thing that is the, the great impossibility that, is, is, that actually threatens to steal your joy or take uh, your life, that's, that's detracting from the fullness and the contentment and the peace that you know that God has for you because that's what he promised and yet you're just not feeling it? Where is your place of impossibility? And what does that do to you? How does that affect you? How does that affect you in your day to day? Are you experiencing peace like a river flowing to you and through you? Or is your reality and is your experience something other right now? We live in a world, don't we, that is throwing all kinds of conflicting messages at us. But it's precisely in this place of impossibility that we encounter the resurrection life of Jesus. We started this year, this ministry year, with an invitation to go deeper into the more and the better life. That is the resurrection life that Jesus invites us into. 
And we might start by saying, that's not my experience. That's not what I'm feeling. That's not what this year, what these past two years have felt like. Actually, it's felt the opposite. Life has felt muted. It's felt less. It's felt broken. You know, the remarkable thing is that the truth of the resurrection and this life that we're given, our Christian life, this fullness of life, it's not based upon our experience although it it honors our experience, but it's based and it's founded upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want us to think this morning about how is it possible that we can experience this resurrection life, even in the place or at the place of impossibility. Because the risen Lord met with his disciples at the place of impossibility. And so it is that he meets with us this morning. I want to read to you from John 20, verses 1 to 10. You might guess why I love this text particularly, but I'll reveal it later if, you're not, if it's not absolutely clear. So now on the first day of the week, if you have a Bible, you can open it, open it up on your app, uh, on your phone, if not. But now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. We encounter this resurrection place. We are gathered at the place of impossibility. And we we start with the impossibility of the resurrection. Mary is making her way to the tomb early. It's the first day. It's back to work. And so she's going to the tomb to embalm Jesus' body. She has spent the last few days weeping, broken, hurt, disappointed, afraid. She, like the other disciples, I wonder how she looked as she made her way to the tomb as she walked down the streets, her tears still marking her face, her eyes puffy from sleepless nights. She wasn't expecting the resurrection. Mary, while it was still dark, came to the tomb. Her hopes had been dashed. Her Lord had been taken. And his body lay, she believed, in the tomb. Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India, said that joys are always on their way to us. They are traveling to us through the darkness of the night. 
And so it is that Mary makes her way through the darkness to the tomb. But she wasn't expecting the resurrection. She didn't cry out when she saw the the stone rolled away. Alleluia, Christ is risen. She cried out, somebody has taken him. Where have they taken the Lord? And she ran to tell the other disciples. Nobody expected the resurrection. As we come to this morning and the impossibility of this celebration, we think, oh, it's, it's such a hard thing for us to, to believe, to understand. Well, it, nobody understood, nobody was anticipating the resurrection. Despite Jesus' teaching, the time that he'd spoken, the repeated ways in which he told the disciples that he would die, but he would rise again, they didn't get it. They went expecting to find a body to embalm. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees didn't believe it was going to be like this, not one man. Certainly not a man who had died on a cross who would then be cursed. Now, they had seen stories of Jesus bringing others to life. Lazarus, Jesus raised Lazarus to life. But Lazarus came back to his old life. Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus, but his clothes, his grave clothes were still on him. Somebody had to undress him, take these cloths away from him, take them off him. And Lazarus would later die again. Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. Jesus was raised to new life. He didn't carry his grave clothes. The grave clothes were left folded neatly where he had lain. Jesus was raised not back to the old life, but Jesus was raised into a new life, a new creation, a new order. That's what this day began. That's what his resurrection brought, the new life in Christ. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is the same spirit that raises us to life in Christ. It is not back to an old life. But it is into new life, a new creation, a new order, a new way. And it's something, as Jesus was raised to life, so too we are raised to this life in Christ. We can't do it for ourselves. But it's by his spirit. And the good news and the goodness of this message and of this morning is that there is nothing that we can do to raise ourselves to life, to change the impossibility of our situation. There is nothing that we can do. There is no endeavor that is, that is good enough, that is high enough. There is no achievement that is great enough. And in that, we are free from striving. By His Spirit, we are raised And this, we are raised into the resurrection life of Christ. We sang it earlier. We sang those words earlier. Not by our doing, not by our efforts, not by our strivings, not by our achievements or our own fine thinking or calculations or just our innate goodness. Actually, it's the other way, isn't it? It's in spite of all that we are, 
Yet, because of God's love, the impossibility of the resurrection is that it is a gift, it is a mercy, it is a grace, by grace. Such is the Father's love for the world. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it, to save us. We encounter the resurrection life. We can encounter the resurrection life in the place of impossibility. We may wonder, well, did it, did it really happen? Could it possibly have happened? What if his body was stolen or was moved? Well, there were guards that were guarding the tomb. I think if you want to quash a movement really quickly that says he is risen, you would present the body and say, no, he's not. He's here. We've got to consider the lives and the transformation that happened amongst the disciples who were fearful and hiding and broken and, and all over the place and full of fear, transformed into men and women of courage and faith who, who gave their lives for this purpose, for this cause, for this message. It's not something you do for a lie. And then there were the sightings of Jesus, the raised Jesus, not not just a a ghost, but the bodily resurrection of Jesus in the days that followed, seen by hundreds of people. Jesus ate with his disciples. He was sighted repeatedly by many people, by groups of people. So how do we come this morning to this Resurrection Sunday? We may come in our brokenness and in our impossibility, and we come with our own understanding, like Mary, of what to expect. And yet we find new creation, and we are invited in to this new creation. We encounter resurrection life at the place of impossibility, The resurrection happened. But it's not just that it happened, but that it happens. See, we're invited into more than just a way of thinking, a way of viewing the world. It's more than a doctrine for us to learn. It's a life to experience and to participate in. So Mike said to the guys who were baptized, like this is, this is like a marriage and now it's now go live that, but experience that. We don't do that on our own. We do so in the power of the Spirit of God who raises us to life as new creations in Christ. Resurrection happens. The resurrection, ha- resurrection life happens to us. It's a gift to us. We can't make it happen. We cannot raise ourselves. But it is the Spirit of God that gives life to our mortal bodies. And we are set free from our striving, of our efforts and our endeavors, our, our best efforts. Richard Foster, many of you would have written or read the book, the celebration of discipline. In one point he says, when we despair of gaining inner transformation through human powers of will and determination, we are open to a wonderful realization. Inner righteousness is a gift from God to be graciously received. The needed change within us is God's work, not ours. 
You know, we seek that transformation when we say that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and yet there's a frustration. It's like, I don't know if I'm feeling this. I don't know if I'm living this. I'm not sure if I'm really experiencing this fullness of life that, that Christ promises, that other people talk about, that other people experience. This is God's work in us by his Spirit. Paul says, In Romans 8, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is God's work in us. At our place of impossibility, we experience the resurrection life of Christ. That's his work. So what is, I asked earlier, what is your place of impossibility? What is it that you are living through right now? Where is it that that your joy is being stolen, that's being taken away? What's your experience of life so far? Or are we like those first disciples, possibly? Who, who, who Who are hurt. And we're confused. God, you've let us down. This is not how it was meant to go. We've done this. We've followed you. We've been faithful. And yet, it's just like one thing after another. We thought you were the one. We thought it would be different. And yet, why? The disciples asked those questions. They went to a tomb to find a body. The body wasn't there. But it was in that place of impossibility that they encountered the resurrection life of Jesus. You see, it's at the cross, it's at the empty cross, it's the empty tomb that God anticipates us. He anticipates our failures, how we fall short. And Jesus said, our lives are not going to be free from suffering. And for now, we still face death. There will, be, there will be a time when Jesus comes again and death will be no more. But for the meantime, Jesus says, I haven't eradicated it, but I have overcome it. Whatever impossibility that we are facing today, Jesus in the resurrection declares loud and clear, I have overcome. And he meets us in our place of impossibility. So how are we doing? How much are we experiencing this resurrection life? How are we feeling in the overcoming business of following Jesus? The extent to which we are being transformed, that work, that is God's work in us, but I just wish it could be a bit quicker, Lord. I wish it could be a little bit like straight on and up. That would be nice. Even now, even today, Maybe you'd say, I've been following Jesus for years. Lord, I've been coloring inside the lines to the best of my ability for all of these years. I want more. I know there's more. I want to experience more. I want to, I want to know this resurrection life. I want to know this, this power. I want to know this joy, this, this freedom, this contentment, this fullness of life, Lord, that you, that you offer to me. How, how do I do it? Lord, I've done these things. I've, I've served you. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I, I'm a nice person. I care for my friends. I, I give to the church. I even serve coffee. I, you know, like we do this stuff, Lord, and yet, like, what else can I do? What else can I do? Because it just feels like I'm falling short. 
See, some points are so amazing, you just like <laughs> drop everything. It was on a podcast, maybe. What is Jesus like? When we're saying, Lord, what do I do? Like, what can I do? Like, what's different? How does this change? Jesus says in Matthew 11, he doesn't say what we do. but he does. He says, come to me. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to come to me. All of you who are labor and, and, who are labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you my rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says to us this morning, as we long for that resurrection life, as we come to him in that place of impossibility, come to me and take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. Keep in step with me. Listen to me. Learn from me. This is different. This is a new life. Don't go back at it thinking that you can solve this, that you can hold all this together by your efforts in your own way. This is more than just something for you to understand. I want you to enter into the resurrection life, the, the power of the life that is ours through Christ by his spirit at work in us. <clears throat> to be yoked with Jesus is to walk with Jesus. We can't... We can't be 10 feet in front of him. We can't be 10 feet behind him. There's a closeness. There's a proximity. There's a sharing. Now, when I read this text, I said, you may guess why I like this text particularly. Did you work out what it is? If ever there was a text that, sp that spoke of the joy of running, it's this one. <clears throat> There is so much running in this text. So I figured there's got to be a story in there somewhere. Mary went to the tomb. She ran and found Simon Peter. They ran to Jesus. One outrun the other. There's a race coming up in a couple of weeks. I told you. And... Um, it's the, so it's the, the BMO, the marathon. Barry and Joan will be doing their party in the front garden and cheering everybody on as they run past. A couple of months ago, I think it was in February, they do a, there's a race called the first half. It's a half marathon distance, and it's in February, and it's kind of like the journey to the full distance marathon in May. So it's part of your training. So if you're training for the marathon, you do the first half in February, and it gives you an idea of how you're doing, where your training is good or where it's falling off and what kind of hope and pain you're going to go through. Uh, in a few weeks later. Anyway, I ran it, and um, they have, here's another Easter connection, something called bunnies, pace bunnies, in the, um, in the race, and these are people that will run with a stick, and on the stick is a time, and that's the time that if you keep pace with them, you will get to the finish in the time that is written on their stick. So they're running along, often with ears, and they carry this stick, and, you're, and you're, really what you have to do is just try, if you can just stay with them, then you can get to the finish, and that will be your time. Well, I ran this race, and I figured, because I was looking at my watch, which shows me the pace that I'm running at, and I was like, no, that doesn't seem right, that's, that's far too slow. So even, I thought, my pace bunny and everybody with them is wrong. So I'm going to push on to the pace that I think I should be running for the time that I want to run it in, so off I went. Well, foolishly, at about 
eight kilometers in, I realized that I was running a half marathon distance at closer to a five to 10K distance, which means at 8K in, I was exhausted, and I still had quite a long way to go. And it turned out, I got to the end and I finished, but it was no fun, there was no joy, and it hurt a lot more than it needed to. And what I really needed to do, and what I always need to remind myself is I need to keep in step with these guys. I need to not to run ahead, I'm not going not to fall behind, but what it is, and, to, and the discipline of holding back, because I think I can do this, and I, I feel like I could do that, but is to stay and pace myself, and to stay close, to be yoked, in this case, with a pace bunny, Jesus says, walk with me, learn from me, listen to me, live life with me, and we will find joy, and there is wonder. It, it, there will be hardship and challenge, but with me, we're going to get to the end. These races are marked out. You're going to find the finish. We read that in Hebrews. I finished the race, but I didn't love it. It hurt more than it needed to. I think I was pushing myself in ways that I wasn't really being asked to. I didn't need to. And as we live this resurrection life with Jesus, it's to keep pace with him and not to try and run ahead and do what he hasn't asked us to do or somehow still try and impress him or achieve this or do that. But it's to walk with him, to listen to him to abide with him, to rest in him, to, to breathe with him. Jesus says, walk with me. I wonder to what extent we're experiencing the resurrection life today, this morning. And maybe as an indication, you can ask yourself, how much is wonder a part of my day? How much is wonder a feature of my faith and my walk with God? Or do I just tie everything up in my own understanding, my own clever designs and, and practices and techniques and things that I'm going to do and what I'm going to achieve or how I'm going to resolve these things? But where is the place of wonder and of hope and of trust and of rest? It's nothing that I you, we can do. It's what Jesus has done. When he said it is finished on the cross, he said it's finished. The striving, the achievement, the separation from God, what Jesus went through. My God, why have you forsaken me? He, he cried those words out. He went through that so that we never have to be separated from God. We never have to experience that pain and the agony of separation from God because Jesus did it for us. It's finished. So that means whatever we might feel, whatever our experience today might be of the re what we think of this life in Christ, the truth is that the resurrection life, it is finished. We are living it. We live it by the power of his spirit at work in us. Keep pace with him. Walk with him. Every need has been met in the cross. Every account has been settled. Nothing is left undone. Nothing is overlooked. Jesus says, walk with me. Run with me. Stay close to me. Keep your eyes on me. Learn from me. And you will experience joy, wonder, life in all its fullness, even in the place of impossibility.
What is your impossibility? Where is that place for you? Maybe it's hard to believe that God is at work. Maybe it feels like it's a place that's overlooked or something that you're just going to have to live with. How can we then enter into that resurrection life? How can we experience that from that place of impossibility? Let's go back. Let's look at, let's look at Mary and the disciples of what, what they had experienced and what they were doing just before this moment. Mary, on this morning, made her way in the dark to embalm the body of her Lord. She and the other disciples, they were devout Jews. They would have been practicing the Sabbath in the days before. That's why they couldn't embalm Jesus' body because when he died, they took him to Joseph's tomb. They laid him there and they said, we'll come back after the Sabbath to embalm his body. They would have kept the Sabbath. They would have lit two candles. They would have prayed a prayer. Blessed art thou, O God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by thy commandments and commanded us to kindle the Sabbath lights. And they would have lit two candles. A candle reminding them of the exodus or, and, or of the creation, the text in Exodus, of, of the creation and the, and the command to rest. That Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Second candle would have been in obedience to um, the, 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 the law in Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that your Lord God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. They would have observed the Sabbath. What? Like, how would that have been? In light of everything that they had just experienced, but what a gift. Because I can't help thinking that as they came out, they would have prayed that prayer again. Blessed art thou, O God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by the covenant, commanded us to kindle the Sabbath lights. They would pray that at the end of the Sabbath to, to mark the end of that, of that time, of that time of rest, of that time of surrender, of that time of remembering, of worshiping God. And so I wonder... I wonder, is it, is it possible that, that this habit of Sabbath keeping, this habit of resting in God, of, of stopping, was somehow preparing them, somehow reminding them of the immensity of God at work in the world and his work in and for them? I wonder what God had kindled in their hearts. Just by, this is something that they had done from children, a practice throughout their lives that then prepared them for such a time that, that God, as Mary and the other women that are, that are mentioned in the other gospel accounts, as they headed to the tomb to embalm Jesus' body, is it possible to believe that in their despair, in the place of impossibility, 
they would have also nurtured in them an instinct for God, that God is able to do the impossible, that God is the God who shows up for them. God is the God who saves them. He is the one who liberates them. He is the one who sets them free. He is the one that overcomes the enemy. He is the one who divides the waters, who has walked with them, who has provided for them, and who works in a way that is beyond their imagination, that is beyond their hopes, and of a scale that is far greater than anything they would ever think or dare to dream and imagine. Is it possible to think that it's in that practice of resting in God, of remembering his goodness, that somehow it kindled within them was a sense of wonder? That when they encountered Jesus at that place of impossibility, their hearts were turned and their faith was set alight. How do we experience the resurrection life of Jesus? We've got to stop thinking it's down to us because we cannot do this in our own strength. It is not about me or you or a good job that we do or the effort that we put in or the fineness of our plans or the execution of this, that, or whatever else it might be. It is his work and only his work. Otherwise, we need not the cross. As we come this morning at that place of impossibility, whatever that is for any of us that we are going through right now, I pray that God would kindle in us again that sense of wonder and with it a hope that God is able to do all things for nothing is impossible with him. Because his love knows no measure. He is faithful even when we are not You think, well, so, so to be able to enter into this resurrection life, to experience this fullness of life, it sounds like we've got to do a whole lot of stuff. Right? Now we've got to do Sabbath, and maybe I should just pray more and read my Bible more. And if I did these disciplines, and if I fasted, maybe that's what I'm going to experience. It's not, that's not what I'm saying. It's not that through these things that somehow we earn this place with God and we've ticked it off. But, but what happens is as we practice these things, as we learn to rest in him, to surrender our agendas and our pace, to keep pace with him, to, to walk with him, to learn from him, we begin to enter into that life with him, to see things differently, to, to catch what he is doing. Richard Foster said, look, by themselves, spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. They get us to the place where something can be done. Can we rest? The Sabbath is to rest, it's to worship, it's to look, it's to listen, it's to remember. This enforced day of rest, this command of God is it's for our good, it's for our understanding, a, a detachment from the drive of achievement and accomplishment and ticking the box and doing things in our way. It's a release. Say, Lord, not, it's not my way, but yours. I like the, uh, the quote that I read, um, Eugene Peterson's book, uh, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. He quotes theologian and bishop William Willimon, who said, God welcomes our labors, but our contributions to the world have their limits. If even God trusted creation enough to be confident that the world could continue while God rested, then so should we. If God trusted the creation enough to be confident that the world could continue while he rested, then so should we. And we rest in him.
There are limits to our labor. There is nothing that we can do. But we wait on the Lord and we look to him and we remember his goodness. Isaiah 40, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk uh, and not faint. Where does God find us today? What is our place of impossibility as we look and we come to him and we meet him? In our place of impossibility, we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we get to experience this. It's not that it happened, but that it happens and that we can experience this life in us, in our impossible today, now, in the lives of those that we pray for. It's for us now. It's a gift by grace through Jesus by his spirit. And God would remind us, I think, this morning that when we do this, that we don't do this alone. We're never meant to do this on our own. You know, one of the things that I think has been so, one of the hard things for us that we've all experienced over this last two years is that we've got out of certain habits that actually keep us, keep us close. Coming to church, like coming together and worshiping together. Communion, being, meeting, serving, the things that we have always, that we've done, that it was just like easy to do and we've lost it. We, you know, we kind of fell out of the rhythm and, and other things will compete. And so I don't have that for, I don't have that day. What's, but the, I, think there's an, I think there's an opportunity that we'd like, what is it to come into that rhythm, into that place? To so say, Lord, <laughs> all of my efforts have their limits. And so I, I give this day to you. I want to worship you. We don't do this on our own. God's provision he gives us, the church, a family. Susan prayed for us earlier, how good it is to come together as the family, to be together, to worship together, to encourage one another. And he gives us his spirit. As we read on a bit later on in this text, verses 19 to 21, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to his disciples who were, incidentally, still in lockdown mode. They were full of fear. They were hiding behind closed doors. They were bewildered. They were uncertain. They were confused. They were frightened for their lives. And Jesus came to them, and he showed them his hands and his side. And he said to them, as he says to us this morning, in whatever place of impossibility we might find ourselves, Jesus shows you his hands and his side and says, peace to you. And he breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. It is that same spirit, the same breath of God that was spoken over creation, that was lifeless and without form, that brought creation. And now through Jesus, by his spirit, we have the recreation of all things, the making new of all things. And he breathes his life into us. That same spirit in us. 
The same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. The same spirit at creation. The creation of all things, the breath of God that brings life and order and hope to chaos and impossibility. He brings us to new life. He brings us to a new order. He brings us to a new creation. And so may we hear his words to us this morning on this Resurrection Sunday that we can enter into this resurrection life and that he meets us at our place of impossibility. May we hear his words of peace be with you. And by his breath, may we receive his spirit.